Welcome again. We're so glad you're with us today. I know we've got some first-time guests. Welcome. We're glad you're with us. Smyrna Campus, we love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting online. We're so happy that we have that available so you can connect with us there. Please know, too, that if you're connecting online, uh, if you look at the chat feature there on the YouTube channel, if you've got questions or prayer requests or you would like for one of us to follow up with you after the service, just send us a note right there, and we'll be happy to do that. We're glad to have you all here with us today. We are continuing a series of messages called Be Encouraged, and we're going straight through the letter that Paul wrote, the second Corinthian letter that Paul wrote to the church there. And we've been looking at some exciting things and some challenging things, but Paul's main purpose for this letter was to encourage the church because the first letter he had written was hard. It was so disciplinary in nature. He had to make corrections and, 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 and correct false teaching, all of those things that he had to bring discipline to their lives. And that's hard to receive, isn't it? It really is. So, so to follow up on that, Paul knew the need for encouragement for the church. And so I wanted us to experience some of that encouragement as a church family too. So we've been getting that each week. Today, the message I love, the title I've, I've given it is Don't Lose Heart. You could say, don't give up. Don't quit. We all need that, don't we? That was several years back now. The New York City transit system lost a bus and a bus driver. Didn't know where they were. Didn't come back in at the end of the route that day. And 10 days later, they found the bus and the bus driver on the beach in Miami, Florida. When they interviewed the bus driver, he said, I had just had it. I had it with the cold weather. I had it with the rude passengers. I had it with my family. And I just thought that day when the last passenger got off the bus, what would happen if I just kept driving? If I just kept going? He said, so I did. He spent a week in the sun and the sand and the surf of Miami Beach until he went to jail. Have you ever just felt like, that's it, that's enough? Uh, I, I just want to throw in the towel. Uh, I'm just going to give up. What's the point? You're tired? You're worn out? I mean, we just went through, now it's been well over a year of, of COVID, right? And, and it's wearing on us. It, it wears on everybody. And I'm glad to see so much of the recovery beginning to happen now and things opening back up. But it doesn't eliminate the fatigue that we've all built up through that whole time of what we had to go. It doesn't just vanish. It doesn't just go away because now things are beginning to open back up again. So, so we have to be real and understand everybody suffers what we might call burnout or fatigue or you get tired, you get weary Maybe it's your job, like the bus driver, but it's other things too, right? A marriage that's struggling, and you're, you've been trying to work on it, and it just doesn't seem to be getting better. Maybe it's school. You, you, you've been trying to get through school and get finished and get everything done because it's going to open up some opportunities for you, and you just had setback after setback. It doesn't seem like you're going to be able to get it done. Parenting. Parenting is one of the big ones, right? I mean, as you're raising your kids, here's what I've learned about parenting. They never stop being your kids. 
You think, I'll, I'll get them through elementary school. That'll be an accomplishment, right? Then I'll get them through middle school. Another Then I'll get them through high school, get them graduated. All right, yeah, now things are good. And then they college or work or whatever, and they're still your kids. And you think, man, it's hard. Sometimes I'd like to just drive away, go to the beach, sit in the sand, and forget about all that other stuff. It's also true in our spiritual lives. I mean, it's hard. I think Christians in America have been more spoiled than we realize over the years of how good we had it compared to Christians in a lot of other places, compared to the Christians that got this letter in Corinth. We've had it pretty easy in America. I mean, the American church has not really suffered persecution on any big level of persecution the whole time we've been the church in America. It's been pretty welcoming of the church. Now, I know it's changing some. I know there's some things you might not like about what's happening in the country or in the spiritual life of our culture. I understand that. But we have to keep it in perspective. It's not nearly as challenging as what many Christians around the world have faced for years. And yet still, it's hard. It's hard to, to be faithful every day. It's hard to be the example that God wants us to be around our family and our friends especially when they get on your last nerve, right? And, and, and you still want to be Christ-like and, and, and represent Christ well. And at work, and boy, there's so many challenges there and in the school system. Maybe, maybe you've got a, a teacher that even challenges your faith, and it's hard to, to keep yourself where you need to be and how you handle yourself. Maybe it's just the temptations of family and friends around you that don't walk with Christ, and they're trying to call you in to things that you know aren't pleasing to God, but the temptation wears on you over time, right? Sometimes it's easy to just want to give up. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, Paul said these words, Do let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not do what? Give up. Don't don't get so weary, so tired out from doing the good stuff God has called you to do, prepared in advance for you to do, that you give up short of the goal. Because there is going to be a harvest. You are going to reap a harvest for living the life for Christ that Christ has called you to. But it's not on the front end. It's oftentimes experienced on the back end after a long time that you experience all the good things that God has for you. So don't give up. Because here's the thing. We, we lose perspective in the middle of the hard times. Life on this earth is brief. It really is. It goes by faster than you think. And I know I heard that when I was much, much younger. And I tell you, I don't, you know, I can't wait to get my license. I can't wait to get out of high school. I can't wait to, to go to college. I can't wait to get my first job. And then I said, what was I thinking, right? Right. Yeah, can I go back? Yeah, can I go back? You can't go back, and it goes fast. It really does go faster than you think. So that, that's discouraging in some ways, but the encouraging side of that is just hold on a little longer because the harvest is just around the corner. All the reward, all, all the benefits of walking with Christ and knowing Christ as Lord and Savior, it's really not that far down the road. In fact, we don't even know for sure how long it's going to be, do we? None of us knows, so that's why it's so important to hang on. You've heard the saying, one day at a time, right? Well, well, yeah, just hang on today. Be faithful today. And if you get a tomorrow, what do you do then? Hang on tomorrow. 
be faithful tomorrow, right? Just one day at a time. Because that's one day closer to the harvest in your life. In this passage of Scripture we're looking at today, Paul, I believe, gives us, uh, I've I've pulled out just six steps we could take. I want to go through them pretty quick, so I want you to follow along. But six steps we could take to help us not lose heart, to help us not give up on our walk with Christ along with when we face the challenges and the hard things that we're facing. Sometimes it's physical illness, right? It's long and drawn out. There's just so many things that can, that can wear us down, right? And, and in this passage, I want to read through just chapter 4 here. Just follow along with me, and then we'll go back and look at the six steps that he reveals to us here from this teaching and his example. Therefore, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, help us to see through Paul's life and example and teaching and the example of Christ himself, that what we see as those things that might cause us to quit, to give up, compared to what you have for us, they are light and momentary troubles that are leading us to a glory that we can't even begin to imagine. Help us to learn to take these steps, to hold on, to not lose heart, so that we can reap the harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So let's look quickly here. Six steps. You might want to write these down. Uh, you might want to take notes. You, you open up your Bible there, and maybe you've got sheets that you could take notes on. After you know, a little further past COVID, we're going to start giving out sermon outlines again that you could take notes on and all that. Uh, we just held off on that for a little while during COVID, but pretty soon again, we're going to have that for you. So maybe you could do it on your phone or tablet or just make notes in your Bible there. Here we go. Step one, if you want to not lose heart, remember your responsibility. Remember your responsibility. We now in our culture have developed this idea that duty and responsibility are dirty words. Things we don't want to hear. We don't want to deal with. We want to escape responsibility, not embrace responsibility in our culture. Right? And and, and that's not the Christian way of living at all. In fact, there's some really good things about people taking responsibility and fulfilling their duty that they have in life. I mean, we want, we want people to do that, right? If, if, if you're wanting to do business with someone or you're wanting to, to, to purchase things for people, you want them to take responsibility, right, for what, what they're selling you, what, what deal they're making with you. You want them to take responsibility for that. Well, why wouldn't that be expected of you as a Christ follower? Why, would it, why should it be okay for you just to walk away from your responsibility, right? It shouldn't be okay to just walk away from your responsibility. If you've said that you publicly made Jesus the Lord of your life and that you're going to follow after Jesus, there is responsibility that goes with that, with wearing the name of Christ. Listen to what he said again in verse 1. Twice Paul says this phrase, we do not lose heart. Verse 1 is the first place. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And then later on in verse 16 he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. He says, since we have this ministry, through God's mercy, he's given us this responsibility, this ministry that he's called us to. He says, therefore, because God was merciful to us and granted us the privilege of being involved in this work of ministry, we've got a responsibility to take care of that, to be true to that, to to follow through on what God has called us to do. I mean, it's through God's mercy that any of us can be part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is only through his mercy. Now, here's what we've done in the American church, and we didn't just do it here. It started in the European church. We took the word ministry to mean ministers, right? And then we took ministers to mean the preachers at the church. Here's the problem. It's never used that way in Scripture, ever. How many of us are called to be involved in the ministry of Jesus Christ? All of us. We're all called to serve in the ministry of of the work of Jesus Christ because we are the church and we represent Jesus in the world. So the responsibility of ministry goes to who? All of us. All of us. And so we need to not walk away from our responsibility. This is an important responsibility that God has given us. We need to hold true to it. We need to stick with it. We need to not lose heart. In Ecclesiastes 12, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, uh, he wrote this after saying, I tried everything in life that life had to offer. He said, now, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the, what's the tra- translation say? What's that word? Duty of all mankind. 
Fear God and keep his commandments. You know what he's saying? It's your duty to do that. Now, there's something good about being true to your calling, the duty that you have. Marriages would last better if we took that responsibility seriously, right? We accepted that responsibility. We, we took it seriously. We worked on it the way we needed to. Wouldn't marriages do better if we did that? Okay. Well, so is our relationship with Christ. It's the same thing. If we understand we have a responsibility to him in light of the mercy that he's shown us, then we won't see our duty as a negative thing, but as a positive thing. We have the privilege of representing Jesus in the world. And that's an awesome responsibility. But the only way any of us can be part of that is because of the mercy of God, Paul says. He's shown us mercy so we can be involved in the work of the ministry of the church. I'll give you an example of one of those where sometimes you just do it out of duty because it's your responsibility. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, he says, not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay? So he's talking to Christians in that passage, not non-Christians. He's saying, Christians, you have a responsibility not to give up meeting together. He's talking about the assembly of the church family, right? He's saying, don't skip that. Don't, don't let that slide. Don't let it be an afterthought. You have a responsibility as a Christ follower to not make it a habit of missing the assembly of the church family. Don't make that the habit of your life. Instead, make a different habit. What habit should you make? I'm going to show up. That's the habit. Now, habits aren't always things that you do because you feel like it at the moment. But you do it because you have a responsibility. You know why he says it's such a big deal? It's because you're supposed to be here not for the church to serve you. Catch what he's saying in that passage. You're supposed to be here to encourage others and even more as you see the day approaching. That's why you're supposed to show up, to encourage the others that are here. Instead of coming to see who's going to speak to me, who, who's not going to speak to me, who's going to do, you know, are they going to do the songs I want? Are they going to have the temperature like I want it? And we can't ever get it right for everybody. It doesn't matter. All right. Never is it the right temperature for everybody. And the music, is it going to be too loud or is it going to be just right for me, right? If it's just right for you, some other people will say, was it loud enough or it was too loud for them, right? It doesn't matter what volume level you put it at. Some people aren't going to like it, right? But if you come with the attitude, I want you to cater to me, you're never going to feel like I have a responsibility to be there if they're not going to cater to me like I want them to. But if you come with the understanding, God calls me to do this as an act of worship to encourage other people. I have that responsibility. I need to show up and fulfill my responsibility to God and to his church. Then even on the mornings you don't feel like it, you come. Uh, this is going to surprise some of you, but there are some Sunday mornings I don't want to be here. There have been Sunday mornings when I woke up and thought, sleeping in the day looks good. <laughs> Depending on what happened the day before, right? Maybe the Sunday before, maybe during the week, right? Maybe I got some of those emails that were just critical, you know, and just really just trying to tear you apart and be upset about stuff. And boy, it doesn't make you want to show up. It doesn't. But you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. So do you. Let's fulfill our responsibility. All right, second thing is this. Maintain your authenticity. If you're going to make it to the end, you got to be for real. 
You can't be play acting. You can't be just putting on a show. You have to be an authentic Christ follower. Look at verse 2 again. He says, rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul, uh, as most likely, most scholars believe, and I agree, he's alluding back to these preachers, these false teachers, that are taking the gospel and twisting it around and using it for their own purposes, mainly to make money off of it. Okay, so, so they're using the gospel, and, and, and when you're doing that, you will oftentimes just say and do the things that you know will keep people happy so you can keep their money coming in, right? There are a lot of pastors around the world, historically and currently, who, who the scripture describes it this way in one verse. It says, tickle their ears, Right? Tickle their ears. Tell them what they want to hear. Make them feel good so they'll keep showing up and giving their money to the church so that you can benefit from it. And Paul is saying, we didn't do that with the gospel. Now, he didn't intentionally try to hurt people or tear people down or, 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 or you know, use it in a way to beat people over the head with it. He didn't do that either. He didn't go to that side, but he also didn't compromise teaching and living out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew that's where the power was. He knew that's what could change lives, transform people. It wasn't even him. It was the gospel itself that would change people's lives. But if you water that down or twist it around, what happens to the power of the gospel? It's lost too. So we have to hold true. Now, that's not just in Paul's teaching. He's setting forth a principle here. If we have a responsibility to represent Christ in the world, then how can we best do that? By being real and true to the gospel. By representing it well. By not compromising and not play acting, but being the genuine article. One of the most impressive things that helps the church reach lost people is when genuine Christians out there in the workplace and in the schools and in the, in the places of business, you're out there being real Christians. They know you're not just putting on a show. You're not just using Christianity when it's to your advantage and not using, you know, not sticking with it when it's not to your advantage. You're being the genuine person day in and day out. That's a now, that doesn't mean perfection. Obviously, being real doesn't mean being perfect. Those two things are not the same. But if you're real, then even when you mess up, you handle it in a Christ-like way, right? You repent, you confess, you get back on track. That's real. That's being real. And all of us have to do some of that real repenting and changing and getting back on track. All of us do. So let's be the genuine deal. Let's be the real article out there. He said in verse 7, I love this, we have this treasure, he's talking about the gospel there, that this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He's saying if you be the real deal, here's the thing, instead of trying to be flashy and put on this big show like you're, you're super Christian, just be real. He uses this jars of clay illustration, here's why. In that culture, sometimes they would hide valuables in their house, not in a prominent big jeweled case or something, right? Where would they put it? And clay pots. Now, why would they put really valuable stuff in clay pots? Because thieves wouldn't think you would keep something really valuable in a cheap little old gray pot, uh, clay pot. You just wouldn't do it. And so it would make it less likely they would look there for your valuables. 
He's saying the gospel is the greatest treasure you have. And guess what God decided to do with that? Put it in us. We're just clay pots. We're crack pots. Most of us, right? Don't we have some cracks, right? Some, some little broken pieces along the way? And God still puts the gospel in us, this great treasure. Why? Because he wants people to see real people benefiting from the power of the gospel in their lives. He wants them to see that in you and in me. And, and even with the cracks and the flaws, they see something real there. And that's what attracts them to Christ, seeing the real person living out, even with the struggles, the gospel. The third thing is this. We have to understand, we've got to remember, we've got to combat the adversary. We've got to combat the adversary because he's real, he's out there, and you need to just know that going into it as a Christ follower. Satan is real. Look at what he says in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He calls him the God of this age, but in almost every translation, I hope yours got it right, is small g, not capital G, right? He is a God, but not the God of this age, of this world. When it says this age or this world, depending on what translation you're looking at, he's talking about the age we're in right now. We were in it since Christ went back to the Father and established the church on earth. We've been in this age now. This is the last age of the earth. It leads right up into the coming of Christ. And in this last age, Satan has the ability to have some reign and rule in this world, in this culture in which we live. He was cast out of heaven, but now he dwells here, and he has. But, but here's what we have to remember. He's real, but so is God. And God is always more powerful than Satan, always. Now, some of you are old enough to remember a comedian named Flip Wilson. How many of you remember Flip Wilson? All right. Flip Wilson, a lot of you do. That's good. <laughs> Either I got a lot of old people here or you watch reruns a lot. I don't know. But anyway. I remember Flip Wilson, too, okay? As a young child, I remember Flip Wilson. Uh, he had this saying that he did when he played this character called Geraldine. Geraldine would say, the devil made me do it, right? You remember that? The devil made me do it. Here's the thing. That's a cop-out. But we also do need to understand the devil is real. And he's trying to get you to do those things. He's trying to get you to give up on your faithfulness, quit on honoring God the way you need to and honoring your marriage or whatever responsibilities you have in your life. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up, but he cannot make you do that. Paul said in another letter in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God, right? So that you could stand up against the devil and all of his schemes. If you're going to hold on and not quit, not lose heart, you got to equip yourself for battle because Satan's real. He's going to attack you. The criticisms, the doubts, the people that let you down, all those things that, God, that Satan could use to discourage you and take you down and destroy you. you if you're not equipped for that, He'll take you down. There, there's a passage that Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. He said this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's just looking for that Christian who's discouraged and ill-equipped and not prepared, and he goes after those all the time. You know how a lion seeks its prey? It looks for the young and the infirm of the animals that they're trying to attack. 
and it goes after them first. Why? Because it's easier to get them. It's easier to get the ones who aren't mature, the ones who aren't well-equipped, the ones who may have an injury already or an illness. It's easier to get them, right? So if we're not keeping ourselves healthy as Christ followers, guess what? Satan's going to have an easier time getting us too. Well, how do you stay healthy? You stay in prayer. You stay in the Word. You stay in the fellowship of the church with others who are trying to follow Jesus. You, you do those spiritual disciplines that keep you strong and healthy as a Christ follower. And you do them regularly, even when you don't feel like it, because you have a responsibility and a duty to do those things. And if you fulfill your responsibilities and your duties, even when you don't feel like it, you'll still be better equipped when Satan attacks even if you didn't feel like doing it. I can't tell you the number of people who come out of church on Sundays after a service and say, I really almost didn't come today. I didn't feel like it, but that message was just for me. I always say, you're right. I wrote it just for you. <laughs> no, I don't, right? The Holy Spirit had it for you. The Holy Spirit led you to get up and get here. So you could get that message today. And it's not just the message on Sunday. It's the daily devotion time, right? Do you feel like getting up every morning and doing your devotion time or whenever you do it in the day? Absolutely not. But what should you do anyway? Just go ahead and do it. There are days I've just gone ahead and, do it and done it, and I thought that didn't help me at all. I'll just be honest. Sometimes I just went through the motions and didn't feel like it helped me at all. But you know what happened somewhere down the road? I didn't expect it. Something I read that day just comes back right when I need it. Right? It'll do that for you too. That's the way God works. He's putting it in there for a reason. Because so, you're going to need it. Because Satan is real. All right, the fourth step is this. Develop resilience. Develop resilience. That word resilience means the ability to bounce back, the capacity to bounce back, to get back up when you get knocked down, right? I get knocked down, but I get up again, right? That song uh, a few years ago. Uh, you, you get up again over and over and over again when you get knocked down. Well, how do some people get up every time and some people just decide after a while, I'm just going to stay down? I mean, what makes the difference? Well, you have to develop that resiliency over time. It doesn't, you don't just wake up one day just, just mature and strong and able to handle whatever God throws, whatever Satan throws at you. You don't just wake up every day with that. You have to develop that over time with consistency in your walk over time. Look at uh, verse 8 to 10 again in 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to what Paul just says. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, when Paul says stuff like crushed, but not, I mean, uh, pressed down, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Did he know what he was talking about? If you know anything about Paul's life in Scripture, it's recorded for us, it's revealed to us. Paul went through so many things. He got knocked down so many times. I mean, he gives us a list in Scripture just more than once, several times. He was flogged. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He lost at sea. He was imprisoned several times. He went days without food or shelter or water. 
Not just once, but many times. What did he do every time? He got back up and got back at it again. Every single time. What a great example. But also it's a great example because if the apostle Paul, called by Jesus on the road to Damascus, miraculously saw Jesus there, blinded and given sight back. If the apostle Paul had to go through all that, what makes you think you're going to be exempt from it? Right? What makes you think bad things aren't going to happen in your life as a Christ follower? Why should you be totally exempt from any bad stuff in this world? You have to develop resilience. You have to. Now, here's what happens. When I talk about developing resilience, I heard this years ago. Disciples of Jesus need two things, thick skin and a soft heart. Thick skin and a soft heart. Thick skin because well, animals with thick skin, it's there for their protection, right? It's because they do get attacked. They do get, get uh, injured sometimes. But a thicker skin, a thicker shell or hull, whatever they have, however God designed them, it protects them from being destroyed by those things that are attacking them. You need to have a thick skin. You develop that by putting on the whole armor of God, right? By being in your spiritual disciplines, by doing those. It, it builds up a thicker skin in your walk with Christ. But don't let a thick skin cause you to get a hard heart. You see, if Paul had developed a hard heart, he would have survived all those things, but he would not have gone on loving people the way God wanted him to love people. He still had to keep a soft heart. He still had to care about people to want to get back up and go back out again and share the good news with more people. I mean, even while he was doing that, he was being attacked. So if he didn't care about people, he never would have kept on doing what God called him to do. We have to develop this love for lost people that God wants us to have. This, this concern about others. And that leads to the fifth step, and that is we need to learn to respond unselfishly even when we do get knocked down. We've got to learn to respond unselfishly. Look at verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You notice what he said? I'm always going through these attacks, these struggles. I've been going through it. Not just Paul. He says all of us who have been working and laboring with you have been going through that. But guess why we keep doing it? For your benefit. He says, all this is for your benefit. So many in the American church today have adopted this consumer mentality that the church is there for my benefit. And the church is like this separate entity from you that's there to serve you. That's the consumer mentality that most people in the American church come with. Maybe some of you have that mindset without really thinking about it. It's just kind of there because that's the American way, right? We want, well, when we do business with somebody, what do we expect? The customer's always right. You, you treat me right. You deal with me. You know, you do what I want you to do or I won't do business with you anymore. That's why ch church shopping is the biggest sport in America. It's not football or baseball. It's church shopping. I'll find one that does what I want them to do the way I want them to do it. And if you don't, I'll find, I'll go to another one, right? So that's, that's the wrong mindset to start with. The mindset should be, 
not that that's the church, but what's the church? You're the church. And, and if you're the church, then the mindset is the church is there for the benefit of others, not you. It does benefit you just by the nature of being part of the church. Blesses you and benefits you. It's a good thing. But once you're in the church, you now exist to bring other people to know and follow Jesus. That's your main purpose now. For your whole life is to help other people find their way to Jesus so they can know and follow Jesus themselves. And then they can help other people come to know and follow Jesus too. It's to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's the role of people who are the church. And so it can never be a selfish mindset if you're going to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. We've got to get the selfishness out of there. We've got to respond unselfishly. Well, well, they didn't treat me right, so I'm not going to do it anymore. What kind of mindset is that? Selfish mindset, a consumer mindset. But if instead you think about, well, what can I learn from this and how can I use that to help me reach more people for Jesus? That's the right mindset. How, how can God use that to transform my life, help me grow more to be like Jesus and be unselfish the way he was so that more people can come to know and follow Jesus? That's the goal of every Christ follower who doesn't have the consumer mindset. Here's what needs to happen. We need to develop a heart that breaks for the things that breaks the heart of God. You know what breaks God's heart more than anything else? Lost people. That breaks the heart of God. You know why? Because he gave Jesus on the cross so they would never have to be lost. And um, the thing he wants his church to do more than anything else, when I say the church, I'm talking about you and me. The thing he wants us to do more than anything else is help people find their way home to Jesus. That's the greatest calling and purpose of life is to help other people find their way home to Jesus. You can't be a selfish person and be very effective and helping other people find their way home to Jesus because you're going to care more about you than you are about them being lost. We've got to stop putting ourselves first if we're going to fulfill this purpose that God has for the church and if we're going to not lose heart along the way. Here's what I know. If you go through life as a consumer Christian, you probably won't make it to the end. You probably won't. You'll give up along the way. You know why? Because you're never going to find the perfect church, the perfect pastor, the perfect congregation, the perfect programs. It's never going to exist. You're going to think it is on the front end until you're there for a little while. But when you get to know people and churches and programs and pastors, guess what comes out? All the flaws, all the problems, all the challenges. You know why? Because the church is made up of people. Did you catch that? It's made up of what? People. And people are what? They're broken. They're fallen. Given enough time and opportunity, what can we do? We can mess it up. And if your loyalty was to that, and only as good as them being perfect for you all the time, then how long is your loyalty going to last? Not very long. Not very long. Your loyalty needs to be in the perfection of Jesus Christ and him only and the calling that he has on your life, which leads to the last thing, and that is focus on eternity. That's the sixth step. 
Keep your focus on eternity if you want to make it to the end. If you want to get to the prize, focus on eternity. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I can see outwardly I'm wasting away? How about you at home? Outwardly, Smyrna campus, you're wasting away. I didn't say I thought you were. I'm asking you, all right? You look in the mirror as you get older. Can you see that outwardly we're all wasting away? That, that's what that means. We're, you know, these, out, these bodies, they're not made for eternity, right? They're not. They're going to break down. They're going to, you know, uh, I still got all my original parts, but they don't work like they used to, right? <laughs> Maybe you can relate to that too. Maybe you don't even have all your original parts anymore. You've had upgrades, right? We've got some bionic people here at Lakeshore. They've got all kinds of new parts. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, here's what God's doing. We're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So when you get the right perspective, you understand this is temporary. And outwardly, our, yeah, these bodies, these shells, they're wasting away. But God's got something better. He's got a plan and a purpose, and he's working on you, and he's working on me, so that in us, he's doing a new work, and he's renewing us and restoring us to this place that he created us to be in, which is with him for eternity. He's getting us ready for that this whole time. And so if we can hold on to that understanding, that perspective, then here's what happens. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that's the eternal thing. That's the thing you want to keep your eyes on. In this world, we tend to give up when we don't. We look around us and we see the stuff and we see the people with the stuff and we see it looks like people even that aren't Christians are being blessed and they've got a good life. And, all, and we start thinking, well, why should I be a Christian? And why should I even give my life to that when, when other people seem to be so blessed too, right? Now, first of all, you don't see everything in their lives, so don't be fooled by that, okay? They got problems and difficulties and struggles that they're not showing you, right? But even if they didn't, Everything they have is temporary. It's temporary. And they are going to exist for eternity just like you are. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. So instead of focusing on this temporary stuff, thinking we win when we get all this, we need to understand that the true victory comes in the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. That's the harvest being completely fulfilled there when he comes and takes us to be with him forever. The Bible says that the struggles of this world aren't worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed when Jesus comes back. That's where we need to fix our eyes today. And if you truly can keep your eyes fixed there, then you can go through some temporary struggles without quitting. You can go through some hard times without giving up. You, you can deal with some, some problems when you know they're just temporary. Yeah, you know, rebellious kids or, or things not working out in your career or, or, or whatever it is. You, you can deal with that when you know that's not my whole life. That's just such a small part of my life. My life is eternal. And I've got something so much better waiting on me. I want to keep my eyes focused on what really matters in this world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can learn from Paul today these six steps to help us because, Father, I know more than anything else, you want us not to give up. 
You want us to hold on. You want us to, if we have fallen away, you still call us to come back, to repent, to come back to you. And we find that your mercies are there for us. They're new every morning if we will just come back home to you. You never give up on us, Father. I'm so thankful for that. You've got every reason to, every right to, but you don't. I praise you for that, Father. You are so faithful to us. Help us to grow as followers of Christ so that we represent him well and we don't quit and we don't give up. And together with Christ and with others who've held on to the end, we see the great harvest that is coming for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.